Okay, and so now the baby goes off and you're just stuck with me, which I apologize. <laughs> he doesn't have to awe like that. I mean, that's insulting a little bit. Uh, I should just have Violet up here with me. That'd be better, right? No, we're going to continue our series in 1 Peter. So if you're new, if you're visiting, if you're joining us for just this Sunday, I just want to offer a quick recap on where Peter has brought us through his letters because that really lays out a beautiful context for where we're in today. We're going to be in 1 Peter 5. Uh, but these letters, this letter was written to a group of believers who are facing persecution. Nero has just blamed the burning of Rome upon the Christians who were living there. And so in response, the citizens of Rome drive the Christians out of their homes, seize their property, blame it for it. And so the letter starts off with, and he says, to the elect exiles. So these are Christians who are facing persecution, where they are fleeing for their lives, fleeing from where they grew up, where they were living, because of persecution they're facing. And in this circumstance, Peter writes a letter where the whole theme is victory in Christ. And that's such an incredible reminder to us that even in the darkest days, the theme is still victory in Christ. And so now towards the end of the letter, we've looked at throughout this letter the different challenges he's called them to, the different things he's reminded them of, the way of life he's reminded them that they were called to and that they committed themselves to. And now as we come to the end of the letter, we, we get to a really fascinating section where in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, you've, you've seen a lot more of an emphasis on how the church engages with one another. At the end of chapter 4, or about midway through chapter 4, rather, we looked at where he calls them to serve one another with their gifts, to use their gifts to edify one another in love. And now in chapter 5, we're going to see he talks even more about the nature of church and the relationship to one another. And I think that in and of itself is very telling in the fact that in the midst of persecution, he is reminding them you are a part of something larger than yourself. Don't allow your eyes to get stuck on yourself. And so with all that in mind, we come to 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1. And if you would, please, if you're able, stand out of respect for the words of God. And I'll be reading from the ESV. It'll also be on the screen. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your living, active, sharp word. And so, Father, as we continue to worship you through examining your word and, and studying it, we want to know what you say. We don't need my opinions. We don't need our own opinions, Lord. We need your truth. So lead this time. Humble us in this time. Get rid of me. Speak to these people. Speak to me. Speak to the elders. Make us more like Jesus. Conform us to Jesus. May everything we say and do be for his glory and his alone. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So you, you those who those who are familiar with me, you know I like I like taking big words and pointing out that they're really not that big and intimidating. And one of the words that tends to freak people out is ecclesiology. If I come up to you and I'm like, hey man, what's your ecclesiology? You're like, sorry, I have a phone call. Please don't talk to me. But here's the thing. We all have an ecclesiology. We may just not realize it. See, this word ecclesiology comes from ology, which is a branch of knowledge, a study, a study of something particular, ology, and then the ecclesia, which we've looked at in past sermons. And ecclesia means the gathering, the assembly, the congregation. And so ecclesiology, this big intimidating word that makes us feel like we're not theologians, well, ecclesiology, it really just means, what do you think and believe about the church? What do you think about the nature of the church, about the structure of the church, about the relationship of the church to one another? That's what ecclesiology is. And the tough thing in life is that a lot of times we allow our experiences within the church to define our ecclesiology. So a bad experience dampens the view of a church. A good experience might build it up. This happens. But what we must do is make sure that we do not allow our experiences and our opinions on the church to overrule what Scripture says our ecclesiology should be. And so this morning in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, Peter really lays out some great ecclesiology about the nature of the church. He reminds people of the structure of the church and the purpose of that structure and some of the meaning of that structure and the impact of that structure. And so, again, if you know us, if you know the church, we go verse, through by, verse by verse. And so we come to a passage like this that might be a little bit different from a normal sermon, but it's because it's what Peter talks about. And Peter, if you'll recall, is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. All Scripture comes from God. No prophecy came from man, but as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed. And so God leads Peter to remind these persecuted believers about ecclesiology. And so I think it's only right and fitting that we do the same thing today. And so what we're going to see in this passage, in these verses, is we're going to look at the structure of the church, of how God laid out the church in function. And then we're also going to look at the nature of that structure, why it matters, and specifically we're going to look at elders and non-elders and how those two relate to one another, what elders should biblically expect of the church and what the church should biblically expect of its elders. And the first thing we need to do is we're considering, do I have a properly biblically shaped ecclesiology, is we need to identify who exactly we're talking about. One of the things that, um, it's not new, nothing's new. Ecclesiastes tells us nothing's new under the sun. But one of the things that is kind of spun back into attention recently in the broader church circle is what's a pastor? defining a pastor, trying to separate pastor from elder. Can you do that? Is there a difference? Are these two different things? And so in order to understand this passage, we need to understand who he is talking about when he says to the elders among you. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Okay, what's he talking about? And there are three words that we see in scripture talking about the highest level of servant leadership in the church. The first is presbyteros. 
And sometimes, depending on context, presbyteros can simply mean someone who is just physically older. Mike is physically older than I am. We could use the word presbyteros to define that, that difference. Sometimes the word presbyteros, in rare occasions, is used to specifically describe members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling court. But most commonly, this word that occurs 66 times in the New Testament, presbyteros is referring to the highest level, the highest group of servant leadership, the highest authority in the church. You see it in Acts 11, Acts 14, Acts 15, uh, Acts 16, Acts 20, Acts 21, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 1, like throughout the New Testament. I mean, pick an epistle, and my guess is you're going to come across presbyteros talking about this level of authority. And that word is translated elder. That's the word we see here in 1 Peter 5. And you also have a word episkopos. This is translated as overseer. Or there are derivatives of this word where it might be overseeing. It can be turned into a verb, right, with the right conjugation. So then you have episkopos. This one occurs less frequently, five times. You've got it in Acts 20, Philippians 1, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 2. So we already looked at this word here in 1 Peter, specifically episkopos. And then you have poimene, and poimene means shepherd. It's where we get our word pastor. Poimene, as language has been translated into Latin, became pastor. And so poimene is shepherd. You see this most notably in Ephesians 4.11, to the church he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And again, just like these other words, it can be uh, conjugated, it can be used as, you know, not just a noun, the shepherd, but as someone who is shepherding, things like that. And so you've got these three terms all talking about a level of authority, a position of authority, servant leadership within the church. And what we have to see is that these are used interchangeably to describe the same level, the same position. Acts 20, verses 17 through 18, and then verse 28, you see all three of these words used. Acts 20, 17 to 18 and 28. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him, presbyteros. And when they came, he said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, to care for, some translations may say to shepherd, poimene, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So in Acts 20, we see that elders are the overseers who shepherd the flock. In 1 Peter 2.25, which we already looked at in this uh, series, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, talking about Christ, but laying out that elders are the under-shepherd imitating Christ. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we see shepherd and overseer connected again in 1 Peter. And then in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, So I exhort the elders, presbyteros among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, poimene, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, episcopos. And so as we're considering our ecclesiology, what do I think about the church? The first thing that I believe we see biblically is that this is one group of people. This is not separate entities where we can play fast and loose with how we use these words and how we use these terms. 
I think this is a very significant, serious aspect of the structure of the church and the nature of the church. And when we disregard what God has laid out, I believe we do so to our own detriment. And part of that is not understanding what he says in his word so that we can make sure our thinking, our ecclesiology, is properly informed by and shaped by Scripture rather than expecting our opinions to shape Scripture. So he lays this out. All right? So we're talking about me. And we're talking about Mario. And we're talking about Joe and Phil and Tim. We're talking about the people that God has called to pastor, to oversee the church. This is, this is significant. This means a lot. Please understand that when I talk to the guys about becoming elders, I'm not like, hey, you know, I mean, cool. It's no big deal if you want to try it out for a little bit. You know, it's just kind of like going to Cedar Point. Maybe you like roller coasters, maybe you don't, who cares? No big, like, no, nah, this is a big deal. The calling into ministry was one that I did not take lightly. I wrestled with it for two years, making sure that I understood what God was calling me to, because this matters. And so what we next see in this passage is Peter calling out the elders of the church. And so now I'm talking to all of you. Everybody listen. Because you need to know your elders. You need to know the position that I'm in, that Mario's in, that Phil's in, that Tim's in, that Joe is in. You need to understand this. But specifically, Mario, Phil, Tim's on vacation with his kids. Good for him. I expect you to watch this when you get back, Tim. Joe, guys, listen. This is, this is what God calls us to. This is what God lays out for us as what the church, what you all can and should rightfully expect of us as elders. And the first thing that we see that really encompasses everything is that we will exercise oversight of the church with diligence. I mean, consider a shepherd. That's the word used, shepherd the flock. A shepherd was responsible for the physical safety of the flock. It wasn't reactionary. When David talks about defending the flock, he doesn't say, I was asleep and then I realized there was a lion or a bear in the midst of the flock and oh, now I have to do something about it. David says, no, I was ready and I saw the threat coming and I dealt with it. A shepherd was responsible. Remember the series we did on Psalm 23? He leads me to green pastures. A shepherd was responsible for knowing where the flock was grazing and making sure they didn't grow complacent and stay in one place to their own detriment. He was responsible for forging ahead, blazing a new path to the next pasture and going ahead and preparing it for them so that the flock could grow and be nurtured. A shepherd was responsible to care for the flock, to say, hey, that sheep's wounded. I need to bind up those wounds. I need to do something about that. Hey, those sheep are starting to butt heads. I need to anoint their head with oil so that it glances off and they don't seriously damage one. I mean, a shepherd was responsible for knowing and exercising oversight over the flock. And a large part of this that we see in Scripture is that idea of guarding the church, of guarding the doctrine of the church. Consider these passages. 
Acts 20, 29 to 31, we just read from Acts 20, so we know that Paul is talking to the elders, is part of his instruction to oversee the flock, to shepherd them well. And in Acts 20, 29 to 31, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, and 6 through 7. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Uh, the epistles to Timothy are known as the pastoral epistles. It's Paul instructing Timothy on the behavior, the responsibilities of the elders of the church. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 4, 2, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Titus 1, 7 and 9, For an overseer... As God's steward must be above reproach, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. As your pastors, we are tasked with guarding right doctrine. We just had an elder meeting this past week and we spent, Joe, what, an hour and a half? of the elder meeting talking about patterns that we're seeing in the global church theology, the American church theology. I mean, this was a massive chunk of when we got together this week was looking ahead, being alert, looking forward and saying, what's on the horizon? Does it line up with scripture? Are we ready for this? Are we ready to defend the church against this if we are convicted that it does not line up with scripture? This is, is significant. This is no small thing. In Acts 6, when you see the introduction of what we now would refer to as deacons, you see that the teaching authority of the church says, look, we have been called to lead the church in prayer and in the word. We need to dedicate ourselves to this. So what you can expect of Joe, of, of Phil, of Tim, of Mario, of myself, of any future elders, you should be able to expect that we are pouring ourselves into the Word. That we are saturating our lives with it. That we are meditating on it day and night. That we are knowing this. We are internalizing this. We are not treating this casually, but we are approaching it with the reverence and the weight and the significance that it deserves in our lives and in our calling as the leaders of the church. You can expect that we will fight for you. That we will engage in hard conversations. That we will think about the hard things. We will think about the things that make you know, steam pour out of our ears. You can expect that we will not take this lightly of, well, you know what, that's a tricky topic and it's really divisive. And so rather than potentially upsetting some people, we'll just we'll pretend like that doesn't pop up. No, you can expect that we will take it seriously and we will fight for this church.
and that above all, we will be submitted to God's word. Now, this doesn't excuse you from knowing God's word yourselves. I want to make that point abundantly clear. Acts 17, 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness from their teachers. But then what's it say they did? It says, then they went and they examined the word daily to make sure these things were so. So you can expect that we are knowing God's word and we are pursuing God's word, but you all need to know it too. Because what happens if I go off the rails theologically and I convince the elders to go along with me? You guys need to know it so that you can say, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with Scripture. No thanks. we got to talk about this. Because this matters. I mean, how many passages did we look at? And that was just a handful of, hey, look, false teaching, false doctrine, heresy is going to pop up from within the church. Paul didn't say you got to be worried about what pop culture is going to start teaching people. Paul didn't say, hey, you got to be worried about what the secular world is going to start teaching people. Paul says, hey, you got to be alert on what people claiming to be in the church are going to start teaching people. We've got to know this. We have to conform to this. It has to begin with me and my fellow elders. You can and should expect this of us. And if you see that we are neglecting this, say something. Bring another witness. Call us out on it. If we won't listen, go to the district office. This matters. The church needs to understand this. And you need to know that we as your leaders are committed to this. But then we also see what elders, what we as your pastors can and should expect of you. And I can either avoid this because it's possible that someone might think, oh, that's nice that Sam gets to stand up there and say this. Or I can say, well, you know what? God's word talks about it, so we're going to talk about it. And that's what we're going to do. What do we see that elders should expect of the church? That you will recognize and submit to our authority. He lays this out in verse 5. He says, be subject to the elders. Hebrews 13, 17 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That word for groaning means to express grief or anger. And when it says of no advantage, it means not profitable. Lost benefits from making a poor choice. So we as your leaders should be setting the standard. We'll get to humility in a second because that ties this all together for all of us. But we should be able to expect that if we are leading in a godly way, you will submit to that and recognize that. Because to not do so would be disobedient to God's word and would be of no profit to you. Scripture lays this out. I mean, think about it. Do you consider me, Mario, Joe, Phil, Tim, to be an authority in your life? A biblical authority, a God-ordained authority in your life? Yeah, of course I do. Okay. So when we lay out what we expect of you to do as the church, 
Guys, prayer matters to the church. Prayer needs to be integral to the church. Prayer needs to be the lifeblood of the church. We have a time of prayer where we gather and submit ourselves to God. We need you to be there. We expect you to be there. We want you to be there as part of the prayer life of this church. Sure, you're my authority. I accept that. Or, well, okay, hold out. You know, I like to do a longer breakfast in the morning. I don't want to set my alarm 15 minutes earlier in the morning. Other people show up for prayer. I don't need to. Guys, evangelism matters to the church. We've given you the tools for evangelism. We have walked through common questions. We have said time and time again, if you don't know how to do this, come approach us. We need the church to all be evangelists proclaiming the gospel. Yep, I agree. Are you doing it? No, because I'm just not that comfortable with it. Guys, we have a church work day coming up. We need to serve. We need more volunteers in the kids' wing. You know, I've never been part of a church. I have grown up in the church. My dad's a pastor. I have never been in a church that wasn't desperate in need of extra volunteers in the kids' wing. I personally have said it, I don't know, four, five, six times. Dan, our lead pastor before me, he said it five, six times. So before we immediately rush to, yes, I accept you as the authority in my life, ask yourself this, where are you serving? Because I have asked this body to serve. Your elders, has asked this bo- your, your elders have asked this body to serve. Are you serving? Or are you comfortable pushing aside our authority in your life? We can expect this of the, of the church. And then consider the other aspect that I talked about, oversight. How oversight is more than just boss. Oversight is caring for. Oversight is knowing. Oversight is connecting with. I mean, think of the imagery of a shepherd. This was somebody who knew the flock, who lived with the flock, who nurtured the flock, who helped feed the flock. Guys, let us do that, please. Mike, would you come up here for a second? I'm throwing you on the spot. Mike says no. Well, as your authority, I need you up here. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I want to ask double check. Do you need my help in picking up one of those water bottles? Okay, could you pick up one of those water bottles, please? Hold it straight out at arm's length. How long do you think you'd hold? That's not heavy. I mean, guys, that's a tiny water bottle. He could hold that for a long time, right? Yeah. He is, he's a first responder. He's in better shape than I am. Mike could probably hold that out for a long time and be fine on his own. That's a bad doctor's visit. That's a call from a doctor that didn't go so well. That's a medical anxiety. But Mike's like, it's small. I can deal with it on my own. It's no big deal. I got this. I'm self-sufficient. I'm a hard worker. I can, I can white-knuckle my way through this. Mike, do me a favor. Pick up that other water bottle in your hand. Your other hand. You've got two hands. Why, why put the stress on one hand? You've got two hands. Mike just got his hours cut at work. And now he's starting to stress about bills. And he knows more layoffs are coming. But it's small. I haven't been laid off yet. We're fine. We still have some savings. We'll be okay. Mike's got these things that he's holding. They're small. I can do this on my own. Mike, now would you pick up, without letting go of either of those water bottles, now pick up one of those flower boxes.
See, now Mike's health anxieties and Mike's work stresses have started to put a burden on his marriage with Sarah. And they're not communicating like they used to. And they're fighting. And, it, and this is not true. Mike and Sarah have a wonderful marriage. I love watching them be husband and wife. They're great friends. They're wonderful people. But see, these little things are starting to add up. And Mike is just picking up more and more weights. And then Mike needs to pick up, well, now he's fighting, right? Now he's fighting with his wife. Now that's affecting his relationship with his kids. And now that's affecting the attitude that he brings to work. And so now maybe he's moving up that ladder of layoffs because he's not so great to be around anymore. But Mike is still like, no, they're, they're small things. I can hold this. And he's doing well. His arms are pretty good, right? There's not shaking to him yet. You think if Mike stood here for three hours and didn't put his hands down, you think he'd start to shake a little bit? What if he tried to hold him here for two days, for a week, a month, a year? Thanks, you're done. You see what I'm saying? We write these things off as small. I don't want to burden people with it. That's embarrassing. I can't admit that I need help. I can't admit that I'm struggling. I can't admit that things aren't going well. I can't admit that that doctor's visit freaked me out and I'm not sleeping at night. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're denying us the opportunity to love you, to come alongside you, to pray for you, to pray with you, to sit and grieve with you, to offer you whatever help we are in a position to be able to do so. So what can your elders, what can we as your pastors expect of you? Please let us shepherd you. Ready for a moment of total vulnerability and transparency? It breaks my heart every time I find out one of you had a major surgery or a major health issue months after the fact. It crushes me. Hey man, I haven't seen you in three or four weeks. Well, yeah, I don't want anybody to know, but I got in a really bad car crash and I need an emergency. Do you not trust me? Do you think I don't care about you? Do you think your elders don't care about you? I mean, I'm just being real. It is devastating when I find out about pain in your life well after the fact. Because my only thought is, man, we could have come alongside them as the church, but they don't trust me enough to do that. I've done something wrong. It hurts. It hurts. I mean, I have watched your elders, men of God, I have watched us around the table shed tears on behalf of this body. We care. Shepherds are designed to care. They are called to care. I can't promise you that we can step in and fix everything with a snap of a finger. But I can promise you this, if I don't know what you're carrying, I can't do a thing about it. Joe is incapable of coming alongside you in prayer if you won't tell him what you need prayer for. Phil is unable to point you back to Scripture and to encourage you with Scripture if you won't tell him what's weighing you down. So church, we expect you are biblically called to allow us to exercise oversight. This is what God has called us to. Please, would you let us?
We want to. I promise you we do. These are good guys. These are humans. We had our elder retreat earlier this year, a time of prayer and scripture to get away, to invest in each other as elders, to seek God's guidance on the church. You know what we did on our first night? We got there like two or three in the afternoon. You know what we did that afternoon and evening? We sat around and we ate manna and we debated Levitical law. No, we didn't do that. We played pickup basketball, we ate pizza, and we debated sports movies. There's a three-way tie between Hoosiers, Remember the Titans, and Miracle. We're humans. Joe and I did lunch recently and we got Greek food. We eat wings. We watch sports. We like grilling out. We want to be a part of your lives. We're not scary people. At least I hope not. I know I'm not physically intimidating. I hope I'm not intimidating. Please, would you let your shepherds shepherd you? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. Would you allow us to do what God has called us to do? Hold us accountable to the standard we've been called to as we hold each other accountable. And what is required for all of this? It was part of being an elder. It's part of being in a church. Humility. What does he say? He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Consider John 13, 12 through 15. John 13, starting in verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I said a zeal for God's word needs to begin with the elders, and I do. I think it needs to start with us. Humility needs to start with us. At the elder meeting that we had this week, I also issued the guys a challenge. I said, hey, here's the bar. We're raising it. Pursue it. Do this behavior. Engage in this behavior to set an example for the church. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I have very high standards for this church. I have very, very high standards for the elders of this church and myself and for Mario. We need to set the example of humility. We need to all follow the example of humility, first modeled for all of us by Jesus. Because if we as leadership aren't humble, we won't be willing to listen to ideas and suggestions. We won't be willing to receive feedback. We won't be willing to consider, maybe we're wrong, maybe I missed this point. Leadership needs to be humble. If the church isn't humble, you're not going to come to us with needs. I get it. It's, it's, it's not fun to say, I need help. It's not fun, but there is no shame in that. There is no shame in saying, I need help with this. I'm struggling with this. 
I'm wrestling with this. This is not going well. You know what that reveals when you say that? It reveals you're human. The flip side of that is you're perfect. And I don't think any of us could claim we're perfect. So we need to humble ourselves before one another. I need to be able to go to the elders and say, hey, I was really discouraged about this, and I've been having negative thought. Like, guys, would you forgive me and hold me accountable? Hey, guys, I don't know the answer to this question. Would you help me explore this question together? We need humility to permeate every single one of us if the church is going to function as the church is meant to. Because what we see when this all comes together is that it is a cause for celebration and praise of God. Judges 5, 1 and 2. Then saying, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. That the leaders led like God called them to. That the people responded like God called them to. Praise God for when this happens. Praise God for when the two parts come together and function as the one church like we're meant to. It results in glorifying the Lord. Please, let us be a church like we see in 1 Peter 5. So this week, as we consider these things, read Exodus 18, we're all going to read Exodus 18, we're all going to read Ezekiel 34, and we're all going to read Hebrews 13. Look for what we talked about today. Look at how we see this in Scripture from the beginning. Let's pray through the Acts model as we consider this, as we continue to grow in prayer. And then to imitate Jesus, let us all seek and practice humility. Let us pursue humility. Let us pursue being His bride as He calls us to be. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank You for who You are. We thank You that You have laid this out as a means of glorifying Christ and that You have given us the privilege and the honor and the opportunity to be a part of it. Lord, it is incredible that we get to be the church. So God, would You teach us how to be? Would You teach us how to be the church as You desire? Give us the mindset of Christ. It's, it's ours. It's ours in Christ. Lord, may we walk in that mindset. May we imitate his behavior. May we learn from him and grow to be like him. You're so good. And we praise you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.